food is chemicals. Carbon and hydrogen and nitrogen and calcium and loads of other atoms make up our foods. Pick wisely and you may be blessed with wellness. Pick poorly and a single mushroom can kill you. But what about those chemicals not found in nature? What about when they are added to our food? Or added to the packaging around the food? To borrow from the marathon man, is it safe? The Culinary Liberty Train Podcast, episode 159. Welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, where the philosophy is free, but the food is on you. Hello, folks. Dan Reed here, the Culinary Libertarian. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. I want to give a shout out to Michael for his support on the Patreon. Thank you, Michael. Also, in the Leftovers episode last week, I asked if already dressed salad could be used for anything and then didn't answer that question. Well, the first thought I had was to add that dressed salad to a large flour wrap, add some cold cuts, some sliced tomatoes or cucumbers, a few slices of cheese, roll that up, and it's lunch. And, for the shameless plug part of the show, try your hand at using leftovers by making leftovers by my cookbook, Cooking for Comfort, linked on the show notes page, and cook up a batch of leftovers for yourself. Food is chemicals. That may sound strange, but that's how it is. Cellulose or proteins and fats, atoms and sugars and water make up our food. It just comes that way. Where the concept of food and chemicals becomes an issue is when the food package labels start to read like a chemist's inventory. There sometimes is no food in that food. Food additives, such as butylated hydroxytoluene, disodium, ethylenediamine-ettaric acidic acid, I butcher that, and more chemicals used in the processing of food are part of the topic of this episode. But food wasn't always this way. Fans of the movie Highlander, Maybe you remember seeing Connor walking through the village market and legs of mutton for sale, very much not under refrigeration and flies buzzing about. Thinking about what eating or cooking entailed back then is a fun for me thought experiment. It seems often enough to come to who was so hungry he tried lobster or chanterelle mushrooms. Or any food, really. The Food Safety and You website published a post about the history, a short history, of food preservation. 
They offer a few examples of how, even in 500 BC, there was advice from Confucius to not eat sour rice. The Roman contribution to preserving foods with salt remains a tradition and a craft today. People in regions where it snowed learned that cold preserves food. The post is an interesting read, and I'll link to it on the show notes page for this episode, culinarylibertarian.com slash 159. How food went from find it, kill it, clean it, and eat it, to buying packets of processed chemicals pretending to be nourishment is a bit too much for this podcast, at least this episode, but there was at least one key moment that caught the attention of the United States general government. Welcome to the jungle. Upton Sinclair's fictional book, The Jungle, may have done more to start government involvement in food than any one other thing. It's a gruesome story about the Chicago meatpacking industry pitting labor against heartless, greedy businessmen. Sinclair himself bemoaned that his book missed the mark when he commented, quote, I aimed at the public's heart, and by accident, I hit it in the stomach, end quote. The meat packing industry isn't the focus of this episode. That is another episode. But I do want at least to note that there is a concern, there was a concern among consumers for quality and wholesomeness in meat, even in the open air market. It seems safe to say that no one ever wanted to get sick from eating food. I'm not ignoring the issue. It's just not the focus of today. The 1906 Meat Inspection Act was the landmark piece of food legislation signed into law by Teddy Roosevelt. This act, more than the previous meat acts in 1891 and 1895, gave central control to the general government for meat inspection and sanitation. And in some ways, it's been downhill since then. Opening the door for the general government to get involved in food, to decide what is or is not healthy, snack wells anyone, and determine a healthy meal has caused almost no end of problems. That's the sound of the blinkers signaling a lane change. Food is chemicals. What happens when chemicals become food, air quotes? The line from chemicals you can't grow, pick, or pronounce to the Teddy Roosevelt legislation goes right through the general government. Let's jump to the Food Additive Amendment of 1958. This is an amendment to the Food, Drugs, and Cosmetic Act of 1938 and was created to respond to the safety of food additives. This amendment established a threshold to exempt food additives called GRAS, generally regarded as safe. 
who decides such a thing? Well, the FDA, of course. To illustrate the point of chemicals becoming food, air quotes, and all of these chemicals that meet the gross standard for what that's worth, here's an ingredient list from a popular grocery store product. Water, corn syrup, high fructose corn syrup, hydrogenated vegetable oil, coconut, and palm kernel oils, contains less than 2% of sodium caseinate from milk, natural and artificial flavor, modified food starch, xanthan and guar gums, polysorbate 60, sorbitan monosterate, sodium polyphosphate, beta carotene for color. Except for water, there's nothing you can pick in that list and nothing that seems to resemble food. That, ladies and gentlemen, is cool whip. Contrast that to homemade whipped cream. Depending on the brand, heavy whipping cream contains cream. Or cream, carrageenan, mono, and diglycerides, cellulose gum, polysorbate 80. Then, of course, a touch of sugar to sweeten it. Of course, the main purpose of chemicals in food is preservation. Salt to dry meat and fish is a century-old practice. Salt, water, and a vegetable is a pickle. That's preservation of food. Drying without salt also preserves food since it removes the water pathogens need for life. Drying food also made the food lighter and smaller for travel. Canning preserves food. Heat is not a chemical, of course, but what happens in the canning world is the addition of chemicals that are more than sugar and water. Food additives is the issue. A food additive is qualified in the 1958 Act as, quote, any substance the intended use of which may reasonably be expected to, directly or indirectly, becoming a component or otherwise affecting the characteristics of any food, end quote. Qualified, it means, quote, the 1958 amendment changed the rules under which food additives were regulated. Until then, a substance added to food was presumed safe until someone, usually the government through the FDA, could prove it otherwise. After 1958, FDA approval for safety was required prior to use. Because this change in the law would have placed an unmanageable burden on the manufacturers to conduct the tests required to prove the safety of the many hundreds of substances then added to foods, the definition of food additive was modified for regulatory purposes to exclude many classes of substances, end quote. The government can't be brief about anything. Finding content and getting to this point was pretty easy. Food additives have some purpose, and I'm not fool enough to say they don't serve a valuable purpose 
in preserving food. The other benefits may be extended shelf life, valuable in long winters, some degree of freshness, and to keep the food more appealing. Now, I'm a bit ambivalent about both of those, but not enough to go down that rabbit hole. This episode's genesis is a book I found on a free to a good home card. It is called The Chemicals We Eat and was published in 1972. Surely, after almost 50 years, there has to be an increase by magnitudes of the chemicals in our food and chemicals called food. Turns out, there is, but that's where it gets tricky. Sure, the chemicals added to foods for various preservation needs or replaced what was removed by way of micronutrients, think enriched flour, are important areas for consideration. But there is the food contact chemicals, which basically is the packaging, cans, glass, plastic, cellophane wrappers, bags, and sacks and containers, as well as food slicers and silverware and plates and dishwashing soap. But let's spend a few minutes on that packaging. Biomedcentral.com published an article in March 2020 called Impacts of Food Contact Chemicals on Human Health, a consensus statement, which includes this passage. Quote, When food contact material regulations were first developed, it had been generally assumed that low-level chemical exposures, i.e. exposures below the toxicologically established no-effect level, pose negligible risk to consumers except for carcinogens. However, more recent scientific information demonstrates that this assumption is not generally valid, with the available evidence showing that exposure to low levels of endocrine disrupting chemicals can contribute to adverse health effects, end quote. This piece goes on to discuss some added substances which are included in food packaging as part of the product, for example, the chemicals used to make the plastic bag. They end the paragraph with this, quote, To summarize, we are concerned that current chemical risk assessment for food contact chemicals does not sufficiently protect public health, end quote. And you thought a plastic bag was a plastic bag. Well, so did I. The article is well done and heavily supported with massive footnotes. The bottom line is humans are exposed to 40,655 different chemicals used in food packaging. To be plain, risk assessment by the consumer is not possible. Much like the state of things before 1958, we have to accept on faith that the chemicals used in the food contact products is safe until it is shown not to be. Some listeners may remember the big deal about saccharin. The current use of red dye number 40 in the United States and not the European Union is just one example of one chemical known to be carcinogenic. Red dye number 40, a 
and red and yellow dyes, number five and number six, can be sold in products meant for sale in Europe, but as written in the New York Times, quote, the products must carry a warning saying the coloring agents may have an adverse effect on activity and attention in children. No such warning is required in the United States, though the Center for Science in the Public Interest petitioned the FDA in 2008 to ban the dyes, end quote. Dyes in food are not always obvious or intuitive. Marshmallows and salmon and mustard and ketchup can have chemical dyes added to them. Those sugar bomb cereals, Fruit Loops and Cap'n Crunch Crunch Berries, and some candies are plainly colored, but consumers have to read the labels to learn what the color is from. In some cases, that pretty pink color in the strawberry yogurt may be advertised as all-natural. Well, yeah, but that pink color comes from carmine. Oh, well, okay, that sounds fine. Until you learn that carmine comes from crushed cochineal bugs. Mmm. The pink comes from the female bugs that feed on prickly pears. And the bugs are dried and crushed and pink. Well, why not just get prickly pears? Aside from the obvious, I don't know. The obvious is, well, they're prickly, and the next one is they're perishable. This presents one issue with chemicals in food. Names you can't identify or source that sound non-threatening. Think back to the Kuhwip label. One needs to be a chemist to know what that stuff is. Change water to dihydrogen monoxide, and that sounds scary. Oh my gosh! Dihydrogen monoxide is in the rivers and the streams. Somebody do something! Yes, it's silly, but that's the point. Some of the chemistry is probably fine. Even through all the web pages I've read, that remains unclear. Long term effects of chemicals transfer from package to food seem to suggest endocrine system issues in humans are worth a concern and worth more study. A second issue, one that appears self-evident at first, but I think is not, is how necessary are those chemicals after salt and sugar. After all that I've reeled on sugar, I am conceding that sugar is a valuable chemical for the preservation of food and the management of pathogens. Cured meat and fish are improved with sugar and salt instead of just salt. Where I stand against sugar is the need for a soda with your bratwurst or smoked salmon on black bread and horseradish. This episode, starting with that book, was going to be about the chemicals in your canned tomatoes. Should be tomatoes and salt and maybe some water, right? Well, depending on the flavor additions, maybe some garlic and some basil. Who would choose calcium chloride and why? Calcium chloride helps the tomatoes keep their shape when they cook, but it doesn't act alone. It gets help from citric acid. Oh, well, okay, citric acid. That's lemon juice. And yes, 
citric acid does come from lemons, but it's expensive. The citric acid in canned foods comes from a black mold that feeds on sugar and then creates citric acid. It's the same citric acid out of sour gummy worms and soft drinks and candies. Citric acid is generally regarded as safe by the FDA. Canned garbanzo beans should be beans and water and maybe salt, right? And disodium EDTA. That's to preserve color and texture. But the can of black beans is beans and salt and water. Can you pick a can of chickpeas without disodium EDTA? I don't know. Is it worth the hunt? That's not for me to say. The risk assessment is yours. The way to avoid all those chemicals is grow your own food, soak dried beans, and cook them. Can and preserve your own foods, and suddenly life gets really complicated when it's so easy to go to the store and buy the nearly finished product. Every purchasing decision is a negotiation about time and preferences and convenience. It's thinking like an economist, but with time and food instead of cash and credit. If I buy dried garbanzo beans, do I have time to soak them and a place to keep them, then time to cook them and then cool them and then use them as intended, or do I open a can? I have the same time challenge as everyone else and kids who love sugar. A bowl of cereal or a bagel for breakfast is fast and easy and is pure poison. I was raised on Lucky Charms and Cap'n Crunch and King Vitamin and Quisp. And I love Quisp. I know the challenge is real, but I know that there's time to win the war even if losing the battle. The main question I wanted to answer in this episode is has the number of chemicals in our food increased since 1972? I think the answer is a qualified yes. The vegan diet has made chemicals into food to replace foods. Gluten-free lifestyle needs and keto lifestyle needs have made rare-ish ingredients popular. Xanthan gum now is sold in packages. You can buy it by the pound. The varieties of flowers from grains is immense. Net zero or near net zero carb sugar replacements are high in number. And there's a lot of them. I remember when diabetic chocolate was freaking terrible. Things have gotten better flavor-wise and texture-wise, so that is a plus. Through all the advances in food production, invention preservation, and presentation, one old-fashioned notion seems to return. Everything in moderation. Some things, not at all. The more processed the food is, the more you should avoid it. And processing is easy to determine by looking at the ingredient list. If it's long, it's probably worth avoiding. If it's a list of things you can't grow, pick, or pronounce, probably best left on the shelf. Seed oils are hard to avoid since they are in nearly all baked grain things that crunch, 
from breakfast cereals to crackers and granolas and even in the flavorings on cashews and peanuts. You'd think they'd at least use peanut oil on the peanuts. Now, I'm not suggesting we be culinary Puritans. I like hint of lime corn chips with the guacamole. I don't eat potato chips. The more I cut out sugar, the less I like it when I eat it. It fails to satisfy. You know what does satisfy is a nice hunk of blue cheese. Let's take a moment out for a word from Jake about his Tasting Anarchy podcast. Hey everyone, Jake here, host of the Tasting Anarchy podcast. Join my co-host Mason and I each week as we explore the world of wine and alcohol through a liberty lens. You can find us on all your major podcatchers, tastinganarchy.com or Tasting Anarchy on Twitter. Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Find out how much government is in your drink. Don't be a culinary puritan, but also, if I may say so, don't be a culinary Karen either. No one in the grocery store wants to hear why the cart full of ramen noodles and diet soda cases is poison. It seems chemicals and food is here to stay. It also seems, with the flawed logic that follows, that the chemicals in the garbanzo beans and tomato cans is safe enough because we are still here. Those are natural products who whip and things that aren't found in nature are best left alone. Now, I know trolling on the interwebs and social media is at least a good diversion, but take those five minutes and check out the ingredient list of the cans and the packages in your pantry. That's time invested in you and your family, and you'll all be better for knowing what's in your food, and even if there's actually food in your food. That's a bit didactic, I know, but no one who calls chemicals food is coming to save you from their products. Making better food choices starts with knowledge, and when that happens, you start making yourself well. That's a good goal for everyone. It seems that the government is always at least a day late. The foodpackagingforum.org website published a post about a new act. Yay! They write, quote, On July 26, 2021, Representative Jan Schakowsky announced the introduction of the Food Chemical Reassessment Act of 2021 to the United States House of Representatives. The act would require a U.S. Food and Drug Administration to create a new Office of Food Safety Reassessment. The new FDA office would be responsible for assessing the safety of certain chemicals currently allowed on the market under the generally regarded as safe rule at least every three years, end quote. I have no doubt the chemistry needs to be checked. I am just not convinced the government is the right body to do this. More desk jockeys pushing papers never seems to be the right answer to any question. All right, folks, that's going to do it. I'll add the links to the articles I mentioned and the chemical and food packaging article, particularly on the show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash 159. That article is long. It is well written. 
and not too many egghead words, but plan to sit a while at Any People Magazine. If you know people who eat, share this episode with them on your social media feeds, and if it is shared to you, like it when you see it. Also, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Those little clicks do big work of getting more people to find the show. If you like what I'm doing and can support me, please do so at culinarylibertarian.com slash support. Have a good week, and I'll see you soon. Music for the Culinary Libertarian podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com.